Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, the U.S. is striking back at targets in Iraq and Syria. How it's aiming for those responsible for the deaths of the three American soldiers. The remains of the three fallen soldiers are now back on American soil, with President Biden attending the dignified transfer. Iris Tao at the White House. Fulton County DA Fannie Willis admits to an affair with her top prosecutor. She says it has nothing to do with the Trump case. Meanwhile, the House GOP thinks she misused federal funds for the prosecution. Arlie Richards has the updates. Closing arguments concluded today for the mother of the Oxford High School shooter. Jennifer Crumbly took the stand for a second day over her son's rampage. Israel says that half of Hamas terrorists have been killed or wounded. How many are still active in the Gaza Strip? Jason Perry reports. As the immigration crisis intensifies, over a dozen Republican governors are planning to visit Texas on Sunday. This as a trucker convoy has begun arriving at the southern border. Entity's Arian Postar brings you the details. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. The U.S. is striking back at targets in Iraq and Syria, aiming for those responsible for the deaths of three American soldiers. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more. Good evening to you, Tiv. So the U.S. Central Command has confirmed that around 4 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon, U.S. forces carried out airstrikes against some 85 targets in both Iraq and Syria. And these targets include storage facilities for rockets and missiles, as well as intel and command centers, all used by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps and its affiliated militant groups. And the day strikes were in retaliation to a Sunday drone attack in Jordan that killed at least three American service members and injured at least 40. President Biden in a statement today said, our response began today. It will continue at times and places of our choosing. The United States does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world, but let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. And Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin saying this yesterday. This is a dangerous moment in the Middle East. We will continue to work to avoid a wider conflict in the region. And also today, President Biden joined grieving families as they watched the return of the remains of fallen U.S. soldiers to American soil. The ceremony lasted for about 15 minutes, all in silent but spoke volumes about the sacrifices in these American soldiers made. The fallen troops include Sergeant William Rivers, 46, who joined the Army Reserve in 2011, and also Specialist Kennedy Sanders, 24, who worked at a pharmacy and coached in children's soccer and basketball, as well as Specialist Brianna Muffet, who worked at a home care provider to cook and clean for people with disabilities. And here are the parents of Brianna Muffet and Kennedy Sanders remembering their children. Watch. She was always there for like everybody. Yes, she was. She loved her friends. She loved her family. Even though her time was short on earth, she lived her life to the fullest and she enjoyed her life. 
President Biden called each of the families earlier this week and also asked them about him attending the ceremonies today. And we know that the last time President Biden participated in a dignified transfer was back in 2021 when 13 American service members were killed in the Afghanistan withdrawal. Meanwhile, today's airstrikes mark a significant escalation in the tensions in the Middle East. But it is notable that all these target strikes today were outside of Iran. Back to you. Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis admits to having an affair with her top prosecutor. In a fiery document filed today, she said the affair has nothing to do with her prosecution of former President Trump. But the House GOP is ramping up its probe into Willis's alleged misuse of federal funds. And in D.C., Trump enjoys a break in the election criminal case. NTD's Arlene Richards has the latest. Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade and D.A. Fannie Willis admit to an affair. Wade's admission was contained in an affidavit attached to Willis's response to accusations of a conflict of interest. In a fiery argument, the DA says that the personal relationship doesn't conflict with the prosecution of the Trump election case and that she and Wade shouldn't be disqualified. The 176-page document comes after defendant Mark Roman filed a motion to dismiss the case. Roman accuses Willis of the affair and misuse of county funds for her own benefit. Willis states in her filing, the personal relationship between Special Prosecutor Wade and District Attorney Willis has never involved direct or indirect financial benefit to District Attorney Willis. Willis also argues that she and Wade don't have any financial interest in any of the defendant's convictions. She says this would be required in order to disqualify them. Willis's response comes as the House GOP steps up the probe of her prosecution. In a letter on Friday, House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan formally subpoenaed Willis to turn over numerous documents in connection with an ongoing probe. The House is investigating suspected cooperation between Willis's office and the former House January 6th committee. Jordan states in the letter that he's been requesting records since August, but Willis hasn't responded. He's looking for information on whether or not Willis misused federal funding to prosecute Trump and others. The renewed request comes after Willis fired a whistleblower who tried to stop a top campaign aide from misusing federal funds. As Willis sees an increase in legal action, former President Trump is getting a break in D.C. The D.C. District Court calendar suddenly dropped Trump's March 4th trial date in the election case brought by Special Prosecutor Jack Smith. A review of Judge Tanya Chutkin's trial calendar shows the date is missing, and a different trial is scheduled for April 2nd during the time that Trump's trial would have been in process. Chutkin stated at a hearing on Wednesday that she didn't expect to have any trials in March. The delay comes as Trump waits for a federal appeals panel to rule on his motion for presidential immunity. The three-judge panel was expected to make a quick decision after the case was fast-tracked but they haven't made a decision yet. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Closing arguments concluded today for the mother of the Oxford High School shooter, Ethan Crumbly. Jennifer Crumbly took the stand for the second day in a row in her involuntary manslaughter trial. Crumbly is the first parent in the U.S. to be charged for a mass shooting committed by her child. During testimony, the mother claimed that she was a hypervigilant helicopter parent who was close to her then 15-year-old son, Ethan. But prosecutors said she was instead negligent for ignoring his mental condition and gifting him a gun, the one he used four days later in the shooting. 
Jennifer Crumbly has been charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter for her son's rampage. Her husband will go on a separate trial in March on the same charges. Ethan Crumbly is serving a life sentence without parole for the killing of four students. Israel's defense minister says that half of Hamas terrorists have been killed or wounded. This comes as the humanitarian aid crisis continues amid increasing challenges in the Gaza Strip. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest on the war. A terrorist carrying a rocket-propelled grenade launcher makes his way towards Israeli troops in what appears to be another video released by Hamas terrorists. But this video ends abruptly, and it was actually released by Israel Defense Forces. They say this is footage from a body camera that a terrorist was wearing just minutes before the IDF killed him. On Friday, the Israeli Commando Brigade, which released this video, reported killing several armed terrorists as they strengthened operational control in Western Khan units. Since the war began in the Gaza Strip, about 20,000 terrorists have been killed or injured, according to Israel's defense minister, and about 20,000 terrorists are still active in the Gaza Strip. This commanding officer operating in central Gaza reported on a recent discovery. We are here in the heart of a residential area. Hamas established a facility and a lathe for the production of rockets. We will search and destroy all of Hamas's weapons. He explained that the machines and materials were intended for civilian use, but Hamas used them to make weapons. Also on Friday, Israeli residents attempted to block humanitarian aid from getting into the Gaza Strip. We can't just carry on feeding the Hamas and getting nothing. So getting hostages, I just want to underline this, uh, 100%. And in the Gaza Strip, this man fetches water for his family and relatives every day. His dad explained the situation. They only pump it for an hour, and everyone goes and stands in line and waits one, two hours to be able to get a gallon of water. It's salt water, so of course not good for cooking or anything, but we have no choice. That is what's available. An Israeli government spokesperson on Friday said Israel wants to see humanitarian aid reach the civilians in Gaza who need it, while making sure that Hamas cannot steal it. Jason Perry, NTD News. A quick vote is coming on a bill to grant billions in aid to Taiwan, Israel and Ukraine and make changes to border policy. The text still hasn't been released, but Senate leadership is already scheduling a vote on it by the middle of next week. NTD's Melina Weiskup has more from Capitol Hill. Senate Leader Chuck Schumer is telling senators that he's ready to hold a vote by next Wednesday on this border security and foreign aid deal. Supporters of the bill have been for the past couple of weeks trying to defend and dispel what they call misinformation about the bill, such as the idea that it would allow for 5,000 illegal crossings before the federal government would be required to take action to secure the border. Supporters also say that it's a strong bipartisan bill. For example, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been trying to sell it to his party by saying that this is likely the only opportunity that they can get something done at the border. Here's McConnell. In fact, I don't think we'd get 60 votes for any border plan if we had a fully Republican government. So this is a unique opportunity. 
some Republican senators are enraged with Senate leadership for forcing the whole body to swallow a bill that a select few Republicans and Democrats have spent months writing. Some senators are condemning leadership for what they say is a routine practice. They do it behind closed doors. They give it to us at the last minute and say, vote for it. Well, we don't really care if you vote for it because the Democrats are going to vote for it and we'll just get 10 or 12 of you of Republicans to vote for it. So they've, they've trained us. Similarly, Senator Mike Lee took to Twitter to rant. We'll read you a little bit of what he said. He said there's no universe in which the Senate could thoroughly debate and revise a bill of this magnitude that will fund military operations in three distant parts of the world and make massive permanent changes to immigration law. Now, when that vote does happen next week, we'll be looking to see how many Republicans support it, considering so many of them have already expressed opposition to it. It will also be interesting to see how Democrats are voting on this. There could be a good number who who are opposed to it on the grounds that it doesn't do enough to reform immigration law. Now over in the House side, Speaker Mike Johnson has already killed the idea of bringing it up to the floor for a vote. So even if it does emerge from the Senate, it's likely to stop there without going to the president's desk for his signature. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. As the immigration crisis intensifies, over a dozen Republican governors are planning to visit Texas on Sunday. This as a trucker convoy is scheduled to hold rallies in cities along the border tomorrow. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. Texas continues to ignore requests from the Biden administration to vacate Shelby Park in Eagle Pass. Governor Greg Abbott on Friday wrote, Texas continues to use every tool and strategy to secure our border. We will not back down. Texas will hold the line. This as the Take Our Border Back trucker convoy is on its way to the southern border. On Thursday night, former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin spoke at an event organized by the convoy. It's unconscionable, it's treasonous what our own federal government is doing to us in actually sanctioning an invasion, a foreign invasion of our country across that border. The truckers' goal is to raise awareness about what they consider the Biden administration's failure to secure the border. They're scheduled to hold multiple rallies in cities along the border on Saturday. The largest ones are planned to be in Sunnyside, California, Yuma, Arizona, and Eagle Pass, Texas. Now this comes as 15 Republican governors are set to speak in Eagle Pass, Texas on Sunday. And similar to the truckers, the governors are expected to point out the Biden administration's alleged failure to protect the border. And they're also expected to back Texas' claim on its constitutional right to defend itself against an invasion. One of those governors is Brad Little of Idaho, who announced he's sending state troopers to the border to support Texas. Little says the flood of fentanyl and human trafficking coming across our lawless southern border is unacceptable. Our state troopers will bring back skills and techniques to stop these criminals. Governor Little is joining Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's also planning to deploy more of his National Guard members to the Texas border. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Coming up, what are the root causes of mass illegal immigration? Our guest says the federal government and the United Nations have been facilitating it with U.S. taxpayer money. Hear his analysis of the situation. Over 2 million Tesla cars in the U.S. need a software update. More on what federal safety regulators are saying and which models are affected. And country music star Lainey Wilson says seeing AI versions of herself online is like a punch in the gut, a personal violation that threatens human dignity. What will lawmakers do to protect creators? 
Find out after the break. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Joining us now to share his findings on illegal immigration, we have Joshua Phillip. He's a senior investigative journalist at the Epic Times and has researched the border crisis for years. Joshua Phillip, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Hey, Tiffany, always a pleasure. Now, immigration has become one of the major issues for American voters. Now, this administration especially talks a lot about solving the root causes, like poverty in other countries. But what about the root causes behind this mass migration that we are seeing at the southern border? Help us understand that. Well, you know, the root cause is that the federal government, mainly the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security, is actively facilitating the mass illegal immigration to the United States. The reality is, and this is... I've been saying it for a few years now. I, I did an investigation. I was at the border. I went into Mexico and I researched it. What is happening is this. The United Nations is running the border crisis and they're doing it using American taxpayer dollars. The organization of the UN running these operations is called the International Organization for Migration. They are giving the you know illegal immigrants literal cash cards uh, prepaid debit cards, and they're also giving them envelopes filled with cash. This was called the conspiracy theory and fake news, you know, before, but just recently the United Nations 2024 budget was released and it's in there. And without a doubt, this is exactly what is happening. They are paying people cash and giving them cards to illegally travel to the United States. Uh, once they get to the border, they then hand off a lot of these operations to various NGOs, nonprofit organizations. Uh, you know, he, there's Hebrew groups, there's uh, Catholic groups, there's Lutheran groups, there's all these you know different religious groups running these nonprofit organizations, which you know are not necessarily tied into the entire religions, but are people operating these at least under the name of religions, which of course gives them some additional legal protections. They are then busing, shipping, flying, and so on these illegal aliens all around the entire United States. And uh, those, these organizations also get money uh, from the United States in the form of our tax dollars. And they're also working under the coordination of the International Organization for Migration. In fact, they're even listed as members publicly on the, uh, under IOM. Um, at the same time, too, the IOM, International Organization for Migration, has a joint office working directly with the U.S. State Department to coordinate these operations. And so in no way is this organic. This is a well-operating, very intent, very, very intended, you know, it's intended to do this um, operation meant to facilitate the bringing in of millions of people into the U.S. Quite concerning indeed. You mentioned that U.S. tax dollars are helping to fund all of this. Why is the U.N. doing this? What's the reason here? You, you hear two different narratives. Um, you know, of course, they're talking about the humanitarian crisis, and they're saying that these are uh, the narrative they're using to get a lot of these individuals' refugee status and so on is they say that they are climate refugees. They just using the narrative of climate justice, they can claim that these individuals are fleeing the damage of climate change. Um, in reality, 
reality, if you listen to what the individuals kind of leading the circus are saying, yeah, what they what they will say is that this is meant to create global equity. They they want to create a, a form of global equality, and that means balancing out the wealth of the you know first world nations, mainly the United States, Canada, and Western Europe. Um, with the you know lack of wealth of many of these poorer countries, and so by flooding the United States, Western Europe, Canada, and other countries with the poorest of the third world countries, they believe they can start creating a form of global equity. The other form of that is what they call, and the CCP is pushing this, as is Russia, by the way, the overthrowing of what they call the unipolar world order. Sounds in a way like the loss of freedom or the fabric that the United States was founded upon. Given that this is now openly stated in the UN's 24 budget, what can Americans do who don't want their tax dollars, tax dollars going to this? Well, you know, the funny thing with the border crisis is that it's it's technically a bipartisan issue. A lot of Democrats don't like it either. New York, Chicago, California, you know, they're going bankrupt paying for it. They, they don't have the money for it. And you have to ask yourself, what makes it so important that the federal government is even suing Texas if they try to secure the border? They're trying to maintain the open border policy. What makes it so important to the federal government that they're willing to bankrupt New York? They're willing to cause, you know, crime and chaos in a lot of areas. They're willing to risk people's lives, sending them to Chicago where it's freezing cold and where you'll die if you're stuck on the streets. It's so important to them that they're willing to do all of this. So what is it that they want? What is the real agenda for it? The money that is meant to help Americans is being denied to Americans and being given to illegal aliens violating the laws of our country uh, with what appears to be an intent to you know, lower the living standards of the United States and create a, a system of global equality where we've been lowered from our position, the quality of life becomes worse in order to benefit other countries. And, and I, I don't think that's in the interest of most Americans personally. And given that, what can Americans do if they do want to change this? Well, I, I think the the biggest thing in, in America we have is, of course, the fact that you know we still have elected government, at least for now. <laughs> and um, I do think you should let your elected leaders know if you support it or don't support it. Call them, email them, uh, let them know what's happening. Because we now know for a fact that, yes, American tax dollars are being spent on this. Yes, this is a coordinated operation between the U.S. and the United Nations. And they can't deny it anymore. Joshua Philip, thank you so much for your time. A pleasure. Thank you. Connecticut plans to eliminate medical debt for 250,000 residents, becoming the first state in the U.S. to undertake such an initiative. This adds up to roughly $1 billion in canceled medical debt. The plan will be achieved using a portion of the 2021 American Rescue Plan Act. This act was introduced to assist the U.S. in combating and recovering from the pandemic. The program is set to begin in June. It focuses on single parents and lower income residents. In case you own a Tesla, nearly all of them in the U.S. have a recall issued. Warning lights on the instrument panels have been cited as being too small by regulators. Luckily, the fix can be done by an online software update. NTD's Jason Blair has the details. Nearly 2.2 million Tesla vehicles will need a software update to fix the size of some instrument panel warning lights. 
This accounts for nearly all Teslas in the U.S., so if you own one made from 2012 to 2024, there's a good chance you'll be notified about it. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTS, says they found the problem on January 8th. Owners will be notified by a letter starting March 8th. The NHTS stated the font size for the brake, park, and anti-lock brake warning lights are too small for federal safety standards. They say it could make critical safety information hard to read and increase the risk of a crash. Tesla says there have been three warranty claims possibly related to the recall, but no reports of any injuries or crashes. Tesla was the top electric vehicle seller in the U.S. and the world last year. According to data by Jado Dynamics, during the first quarter of 2023, the Model Y was the first EV to become the world's best-selling car. Jason Blair, NTD News. Congress is trying to protect creators from artificial intelligence, from AI-generated images of Taylor Swift to AI-generated songs featuring Lainey Wilson. Lawmakers are trying to figure out what to do. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more. Our question today is not if, but how Congress should act to protect artists from such treatment. Lawmakers tackle the problem of artificial intelligence mimicking the name, likeness, and voice of creators. Lawmaker Daryl Issa demonstrates. The man I actually saw in concert. Hello, I'm not Johnny Cash. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic. It's fantastic. ISA says Congress needs to figure out legislation to decide whether this is legal or illegal and whether Johnny Cash's estate should be compensated. I see this ad uh, said I had lost 70 pounds from these weight loss gummies. And um, first of all, it, it really hurt my feelings. And we would get it down and then another one would pop up and then we'd get it down. And it was just like I couldn't. We just could not keep up with it. Even in my crew, um, they were like, hey, I'm, I want to lose a little bit of weight. You know, tell me about this gummy stuff. Oh, no. I'm like, um, Country music star Lainey Wilson says it's a punch in the gut to see her likeness ripped away from her. She says AI-generated content, having an artist perform in questionable settings or saying lyrics that they would never write, is a personal violation that threatens their dignity. Just having that thought in the back of my head of like at any point in time, people could put words into my mouth or people could take things away from me. And I've worked really hard on building this reputation. Um, and in a split second... It could be gone. As lawmakers figure out what laws to write, law professor Jennifer Rothman says current laws may be enough. Tom Hanks, Drake, The Weeknd, and the various teenagers, such as those in New Jersey, whose images have been used in pornographic images, each have likely successful lawsuits under state publicity laws. Federal copyright law may also be violated in these contexts, and Hank Drake and The Weeknd could bring successful federal false endorsement and trademark claims. Rothman says any new laws would have to clear a high bar. She says the real problem is the legislation that lawmakers are currently proposing. She says they allow companies to own a person's voice or likeness forever. Imagine a world in which Taylor Swift's first record label obtained rights in perpetuity to young Swift's voice and likeness. 
The label could then replicate Swift's voice over and over in new songs that she never wrote and have AI renditions of her perform. In fact, under the proposed No Way Fraud Act, the label would be able to sue Swift herself for violating her own right of publicity if she used her voice and likeness to write and record new songs and publicly perform them. She says the lawmakers proposed legislation would create a topsy-turvy world. Rothman believes owning another person's likeness or voice for perpetuity violates fundamental constitutional rights. Virginia Gibson, NTD News. Taylor Swift, Drake, Adele, Billie Eilish, these are just some of the artists whose music could soon disappear from TikTok. The social media app has lost the rights to license content from Universal Music Group, or UMG, one of the world's largest music conglomerates. Earlier this week, Universal Music, which represents hundreds of major artists, wrote a forceful open letter to TikTok. It accused TikTok of trying to build a music-based business without paying fair value for the music. UMG said the platform has repeatedly failed to protect artists' rights and interests. The music company said TikTok proposed to pay artists and songwriters at a rate that's a fraction of what other social media platforms like Meta pay and is allowing the platform to be flooded with AI-generated recordings, which UMG says poses risks to human artists. UMG said TikTok attempted to bully it into accepting a deal that was less than fair market value during negotiations to renew their contract, which expired on Wednesday. As of early Thursday, many popular songs had already disappeared from the social media platform's library, including those from Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Olivia Rodrigo, and more. While a singer's UMG tracks will be removed, songs licensed exclusively with other music giants like Warner and Sony-owned labels shouldn't be impacted. TikTok has pushed back against claims by UMG, accusing it of putting profit above the interests of their artists and songwriters. The short-form video platform is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance. It's long been accused of providing user data to the Chinese regime. Coming up, South Carolina gears up for its Democratic primary tomorrow. How important is the state to President Biden's campaign? Our guest shares his take on the election cycle. Several people were killed when a small plane crashed into a trailer park in Florida. We have the latest details on the incident. That's coming up. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis admits to having an affair with her top prosecutor. And a federal judge postpones former President Trump's trial date. The U.S. military conducts airstrikes against Iranian targets in Iraq and Syria in retaliation for the drone attack that killed three service members in Jordan. And President Biden attends the dignified transfer for the troops. Closing arguments concluded today for Jennifer Crumbly, mother of the Oxford High School shooter. She took the stand today in the courtroom after being charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Senate leadership wants to have a vote on the border deal no later than next Wednesday. At the same time, the Take Our Border Back trucker convoy is on its way to the southern border. The Democratic South Carolina primary is tomorrow. The DNC is breaking from tradition this year and moving the date up. Joining us now to discuss the primary, as well as President Biden's campaign, we have Robin Biro. He's a Democratic strategist and a former regional campaign director for former President Barack Obama. 
Robin Byrell, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Now, South Carolina's Democratic primary is this Saturday. Many are calling it unprecedented after the DNC decided not to go with the traditional New Hampshire date. Now, how critical is South Carolina to President Biden's reelection campaign? I mean, he's got South Carolina in the bag, uh, but South Carolina d d delivered him a decisive win uh, and changed the trajectory of his campaign the last go round. Uh, so that's why basically they're returning the favor. Uh, President Biden, the Biden administration, and frankly, DNC Chairman uh, uh, Jamie Harrison. So that's what this is about. Uh, but Biden has this one in the bag. Hmm. Now, on the flip side, reports are saying that Nikki Haley's bid could involve getting Democratic votes from South Carolina. How plausible do you see that? What would be the reason for that support? You know, it's interesting because uh, obviously you purchase data uh, and obviously the Nikki Haley campaign has purchased data from somewhere uh, because I've been getting text messages. I still have a South Carolina phone number and I myself have been getting text messages from the Haley campaign urging me to vote as a Democrat for Nikki Haley. So obviously that is a tactic that they've employed throughout the state. Uh, they have purchased a universe of, of moderate Democrat voters apparently. Considering the dynamics in South Carolina, does Nikki Haley have the power to draw some of those votes away from the Democrats, potentially? Yes. Well, right now, uh, exit polling from New Hampshire showed that she, was, that she enjoyed about 76% of support from moderates. That's moderates as a total, uh, not just Republicans, but Democrats, just moderates, moderate independents as well. Uh, so, yeah, she, she has a path ahead. Now, she only enjoys about a 17% uh, support from conservatives. By and large, those support President Trump. So her path forward, or former President Trump, her path forward ahead is to appeal to moderate Democrats and independents. And frankly, it's a good strategy uh, if she, for the general election. It, you know, it's, it's up for debate whether or not she can pull out a primary win. But as speaking as a Democrat, strategically, I would be nervous about Nikki Haley as, as a general candidate, general election candidate, because she does appeal so much to, uh, to moderate and swing voters in a way that President Trump just simply does not. Hmm. Now, on that note, taking a step back, how is the ongoing immigration crisis potentially impacting President Biden's approval ratings? We're seeing a lot of reports and polls coming out. How do you view that? It is actually a significant problem. Uh, the immigration problem has trickled now into, you know, I've got Democratic friends who are, who are seeing this as a problem. For a long time, uh, we, we were not believing that the borders were open. I thought that was a myth because uh, I know that border apprehensions are at record numbers. I know that we are seeing record seizures of fentanyl. So they're, they're doing something at the border. But, the, uh, but there's a reason that Democrats have proposed a much stronger border bill uh, and it's languishing right now in the House. Uh, so it's a problem, uh, and the Biden administration has got to do a better job at messaging and get the word out that you need to contact your elected officials and, and tell them to urge support for this border protection bill. Uh, right now, it's, it's kind of being punted around in a partisan fashion. The Trump, Trump campaign has already said that they don't want this passed because, frankly, he stands a much better chance of getting reelected if we don't do anything about the border. Uh, that's just common sense. So, uh, But we just can't afford to go for a whole year with borders being unsecured. 
On that note, sanctuary cities like New York City and Boston are feeling the strain of the illegal immigra immigration that is happening now. How do you think this will fit into whether voters maybe switch their political leanings when it does come to the general election? That's happening right now. I live in a sanctuary city as well. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and we give we give sanctuary uh, for these type of things. It's uh, it's happening. Uh, there are voters that that are. Uh, switching parties. Um, we'll see if that is a permanent thing or if they're just kind of flirting with this for the time being. Um, but as I mentioned before, uh, we've lost, the Democrat Party has lost a significant voting block of black voters. Uh, and one of the things that I hear specifically from them is that we're not doing enough on immigration as Democrats. Uh, so like I said, we've got to get in front of the messaging and say that we were put forth the legislation. That's what legislators do. Um, but we, this cannot be a partisan issue. We have to come together in some sort of bipartisan fashion and pass this Border Protection Act. Now, another area President Biden is feeling pressure from is from the Arab and Muslim American communities, especially in Michigan. Now, how do you see, what challenges do you see President Biden facing in his handling of the Israel-Hamas war? Oh, that is also a messaging disaster right now. The policy right now, I, I don't think is working and we're, the messaging is terrible. Uh, we're we as Democrats are now um, being labeled as pro-Palestine, uh, pro-Hamas, which couldn't be any worse of a message. Uh, so we're not getting out in front of it. Uh, and because we're not doing that, we're allowing the message to take on a life of its own and run riot. Robin Byro, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. A dramatic scene out of Florida Thursday night where a small plane crashed at the Bayside Waters Mobile Home Park in Clearwater. The tower over there uh, was able to get a radio transmission from the pilot that he was having a mayday, 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 and uh, the aircraft went off uh, radar uh, about three miles north of the runway, which is in this location here. Three people were killed in the fiery crash, one person in the plane and two people on the ground. Several homes nearby also caught fire. FAA investigators say the pilot reported an engine failure moments before the plane hit the ground. The FAA and the National Transportation Safety Board are investigating. Are you ready for an early spring? Well, today is Groundhog Day and the country's most famous weather predictor, Punxsutawney Phil, is looking for his shadow. But what this weather did not provide is a shadow or reason to hide. Glad tidings on this Groundhog Day. An early spring is on the way. The celebrated groundhog emerged from his burrow this morning. Apparently, he saw no shadow, so it will be an early spring. This year, the weather forecast event gathered thousands of revelers in Punxsutawney, a small town northeast of Pittsburgh. Coming up, Shinyan Performing Arts returns to the heart of Silicon Valley by popular demand. Find out why audiences have such high praise for the classical Chinese dance group. And in NBA news, could the struggling Lakers trade all-time great LeBron James? Dave Martin joins us to discuss what James's agent said in response when we return. Welcome back. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Shenyan Performing Arts returns to the heart of Silicon Valley by popular demand for one more sold-out performance. 
A city council member says everyone should see it at least once in their lifetime. NTD's David Zhang was there to capture the audience reactions at the San Jose Center for the Performing Arts. I'm delighted. I think it is an example of such wonderful training, such beauty, and of course tradition and history and the legends of China, which are very interesting to me. But the culture, which most Americans don't get to see, I've heard about all my life, and I'm glad to be exposed to it more now. This is tremendous. This is leading the way in, in helping people to, to understand traditional Chinese culture the way it used to look like. I think it's a, it's a great use of technology to smoothly transition from a movie scene onto a live stage. And I, I think it's very well done. And I think everyone should come and experience the Sun Juan um, at least once in their lifetime. And I love the back screen. You know, that is incredible, whoever designed that, and the fact that they dive and, and fly into the screen is amazing. I mean, it's like total, total magic. I really believe God is there. Yeah. Shen Yun's mission is to revive 5,000 years of divinely inspired culture, which unfortunately has been suppressed under China's Communist Party. I think the, the, the message is very clear. I don't think anyone in the world want to be oppressed. We want to have the freedom of choice, to speech, and to do whatever we want in the world that is best. And we should live in a, a very compassionate, kind, and caring world. And I think democracy in the end will win. And I hope that all the people who are being oppressed in the world and under communism, hopefully they can be free. There's, there's a difference between uh, Chinese culture, the Chinese people, and the CCP. Two are not one and the same. Um, so I hope that people can, can learn to understand that. For me, this is just a, a beginning of a fulfillment of understanding more about the wonderful culture of China. The origins of man, the, that man came from the heavens and has been given a mission, and that hope can overcome evil and fear. I think those are wonderful messages. Well, I think everybody should have the experience I'm going to tell my friends. Don't miss it. Make sure you see it, because if you, if, I never thought I was ever going to see anything like this, and it's incredible. NTD News, San Jose, California. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, plenty of sports on tap, but let's talk NBA, where LeBron James's agent responded to recent rumors saying James won't be traded. Now, what started all of this? Well, for one thing, the Lakers losing definitely started it. You know, although they won the NBA's in-season tournament two months ago, they're just 11 and 16 since. That's good for ninth place in the Western Conference. But also James himself recently tweeted an emoji of an hourglass on his ex-account. He hasn't talked to reporters to clarify that message since. Now, James even really isn't even signed for next year, too, though he does have a $50 million player option if he wants to say, but he hasn't exercised that yet, though. To me, the bigger question is, why is his agent saying this? I mean, that's really a team or front office decision. I'll grant there's no bigger player in the game than LeBron James, but if he's not interested in playing with them beyond next season, and they're not contenders this year, it's not unreasonable to get something for him in, in a trade. Well, now looking at the college game, a number of big matchups this weekend. Four top ten battles take place, including one with your Kansas Jayhawks. Who do you see winning? Yeah, 8th-ranked Kansas hosts 4th-ranked Houston. Now, having seen Kansas play quite a lot this year, they're not quite the top-tier team we thought they were heading in. 
but they're still tough at home. I think they squeeze past Houston in a tight one. Then you have fifth-ranked Tennessee taking on number 10, Kentucky. Kentucky is fun to watch with their team speed, but I'm giving the slight edge to the Vols and transfer star Dalton Connect. Then you have the greatest rivalry in college basketball. Seventh-ranked Duke plays at number three, North Carolina. This is the 49th time they've met as top 10 opponents, and amazingly, they split the first 48 of those matchups. Now, Carolina has really been on a roll. They're first in the ACC. I think they take this one, too. Sunday, you have number two, Purdue, playing at sixth-ranked Wisconsin. It's so hard to stop the Boilermakers with seven-foot-two center Zach Eady. He really can't be guarded one-on-one -on -one by anyone. I think he, lead, he leads them to a win in that one as well. Hmm. Well, now shifting gears to football, no NFL playoff games on this weekend, but we do have the Pro Bowl instead. Now, ratings were down last year when they had a flag football game. Is that here to stay? Yeah, I think so. I mean, tackle football is just too dangerous for what should be an all-star game exhibition. No player wants to get injured in this game, and certainly no NFL team owner wants to see their star players get injured here. Now, even when it was tackle football, the game certainly didn't have as much competitive fire, which made for lower TV ratings. I mean, baseball's all-star game generally draws a bigger crowd, and that's about the only time baseball outdraws football. But what the NFL has done is surround the game with some fun skills competitions that pit one conference against the other, like they have the passing skills challenge, they also have dodgeball. There's a high stakes game where players have to catch punts with footballs already in their hands. So there's a lot to see besides the actual flag football game. Well now, elsewhere in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars have asked the sports betting site FanDuel to return some $20 million that an employee stole and then gambled away on their site. What is FanDuel's position? Well, reportedly their position is, we got this money fair and square. I mean, that's according to a report on ESPN. It's not like a court is asking them to return it. What happened is that a Jacksonville Jaguars employee had a team credit card and transferred a lot of money from it directly to FanDuel over a three and a half year period. Reportedly, it was FanDuel themselves, though, that tipped off the NFL to this employee's betting. We don't know what about his bets tipped them off, but apparently he was not very good at it. In fact, I don't know if Tiff, if I can underscore this enough, he was reportedly so legendarily bad or even careless at gambling, other players actually made a point of seeking out contests against him. I mean, this is like Homer Simpson as a blackjack dealer, apparently. Now, under federal law, FanDuel does have an obligation to make sure funds used for sports betting are legally obtained. But the regulations aren't as clear for daily fantasy betting, which is apparently what this was. So this might not be over yet. Quite fascinating indeed, Dave. As always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.